Hey guys, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money for your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Okay, we're back. So previously in the first part of what's doing insurance, a charismatic insurance agent, a charismatic preacher, and his wife have in common. We left off with the poor David Love being murdered. Er, sorry. David Stone being sorry. Randy Stone being murdered. Apologize. And his wife Teresa Stone being one of the main suspects. And then the police finding out about a toward very cheesy affair between David Love and Teresa Stone. So, okay, we're back. Independence police searched the Reverend David Love and plopped him in a bare interview room. Not far away, Teresa Stone had spent the previous eight hours gradually implicating him step by reluctant step in the murder of her husband, Randy Stone, three weeks earlier. David put his shoes back on and laced them meticulously along with his thoughts. He adjusted his socks and pants leg, carefully smoothed out his shirt tail, and fluffed his hair. And then, clasping his hands in his lap, he settled in, strode straight ahead, and scarcely moved for nine minutes. Detective Keith... Mentally exhausted from his interview with Teresa, finally entered and told David that he had learned quite a bit in the past few hours. Detective Keith knew from his time with Teresa that couching questions in a church-friendly manner could be practical with these suspects. He tried again, even though Detective Keith was not a particularly religious man. I'm going to tell you that this is not easy because I know you have spent your life working for the Lord, Detective Keith began. You're the church leader, which is hard from what I know. It's not going to be easy, and you need to find it in your heart to have the courage to be truthful with me and put it in the Lord's hands. Before asking questions, Detective Keith needed David to agree to be interviewed without an attorney. Pastor Love declined, telling Detective Keith softly that he'd rather have a lawyer present, which, in from what I've gathered in past experience cases, stuff that I've looked at, it's very smart to have a lawyer present, whether you're guilty or not of crime. Doesn't matter. Always have a lawyer present. I need some kind of reputation because I'm a preacher, Love said. I don't know the law. But before leaving to arrange a jail cell, Detective Keith told Love to expect charges soon. We'll take the case file to the courthouse tomorrow and ask for an arrest warrant for murder, Detective Keith said. Reverend Love, again clasped his hands impassively, sat stone still and waited for Detective to return with the handcuffs. Dang. 
Detectives Loran Freeman and Aaron Gitson found the cooperative witness in Kim Love, David's wife, just down the hall. Profoundly suspicious of her husband, Kim agreed to talk to the investigators, probe what they knew, and share the details of her systematic investigation of David's odd relationship with Teresa. During almost 28 years of marriage, Kim had become acutely aware of the perils of being married to a charismatic spiritual leader. I'm sorry, that was my other dog, Bear. Hey. Who is being very rude. A handsome pastor and all that stuff, Kim said. Sometimes you kind of fear women. Kim confirmed something that had been only a promising theory 24 hours earlier. Yes, her husband and Teresa Stone have been communicating with disposable cell phones. His poor wife. In March 2009, she'd caught him in the family's kitchen late at night saying the text, I love and miss you to a number she didn't recognize. He explained it as a text to someone he didn't know, a nobody, in quotation marks, Really, and immediately took texting off his cell phone plan. I prove that I only love you, he told her. On March 16, 2010, she began suspected he was sending text messages, this time after disappearing into the garage during a televised University of North Carolina basketball game. After he returned to the game, she charged out to look for a phone, but found nothing. She returned to the couch and prayed. I said, Lord, if there's something out there, you help me find it, she told Detective Freeman and Gitson, and I went back out and put my hand right on that phone. Her husband immediately acknowledged that he had been texting Teresa, but insisted that it was just a talking relationship, and that he was counseling her on her marriage. I am so dumb to believe all this, Kim told the detectives. It's like the movies that you watch. Teresa Long had been in Kim's sights. Not long after Kim and her husband arrived at the church 11 years earlier, Kim became suspicious of Teresa, where she put her head on David's shoulder while speaking with him. Kim had broken broken that up quickly, telling her husband that it didn't look... doesn't look delicious. Sometimes you just have a feeling about certain women... That kind of thing for your husband, she told the detectives. I always felt like she did, but I could never put my finger on anything he did wrong. In the ensuing years, her suspicions grew. This poor wife. Ugh, I don't understand this stuff. Oh, this is even the worst part. One of the worst gut punches, I believe. In 2010, David had given Kim a silver ring purchased from an independent center jewelry store. And Kim took it back to find something more to her liking. A retail clerk printed a copy of the receipt, including a a 299 silver ring set with several small diamonds. Her husband had paid only a sixth as much, $50, for Kim's ring. So essentially, he paid $300 for a ring for Teresa. And only $50 for his wife, Kim. Just think about that. You go to return a ring that your husband got you. And it turns out they you ask the clerk to give you a receipt copy of the receipts. And yeah, 
That would be gut punch to find out all the rumors are true. Your husband is cheating on you and he only got you a $50 ring. When for his mistress, he got her a, what was it, $500 ring? Or no, $300 ring. Wow. What a piece of shits. Willing to believe that Dave might have been saving the second ring set for her upcoming birthday, Kim remained curious and checked the jewelry store website to see what it looked like. Instantly, she recognized it as one Teresa had been wearing recently with her wedding ring. Oh, this poor wife. At church one Wednesday night, Kim decided to probe. Oh, that's a pretty ring, she cooed to Teresa. That's a $10 ring from JCPenney, Teresa snapped. After Kim confronted her husband about it, David recovered the ring from Teresa and gave it to his wife, but still insisted that the relationship was not physical. I believed him, Kim told the detectives. He said the stupidest thing I've ever done was buy her that ring. Her credibility... Her... Kim expressed her pride in her sleuthing. Honest to goodness, I think I should be a detective because I have the best intuition. Sorry. She said before offering the detectives a parting gift. Digging to a large purse for her billfold, she withdrew a paper containing phone numbers that she methodically copied from the electronic memory of the disposable cell phone she found in the garage on March 16th. She threw on the telephone an independent center trash can after returning both the rings to the jewelry store and picking out a gold one. And she took the news that investigators believed her husband was directly involved in Randy Stone's death and had made plans to kill her too remarkably well. Oh my god. How is it that you're holding it together right now? Detective Friedman asked. It's God, Kim said. I'm surprised. But I had my questions. During his 24-hour stay in the Independence Jail, David Love called family members, asking them to bring him a Bible and a hairbrush. And each time, Kim pressed him on whether the investigators' accusations were true. Did Teresa set you up, or what's going on? Kim asked during the first call. Well, this is all being recorded, David replied before trying to change his topic. So I think I will appear in the morning sometime to get you an attorney, and I think I'll call that being arraigned. Did you do it? She followed up. Honey, wish I could be wish you could be there with me in the morning, he said. Did you do it? Sweetheart, it's not wise for me to say anything on the phone because it's being reported. Okay? He said. Well, he pretty much just admitted to his wife that he did it. The murder charge that Detective Keith promised the next day didn't materialize. Jackson County prosecutors, one of the investigators completed investigated completed before they filed charges, and the analysis of cell phone records and computers were still underway. The results could take months. So after an overnight stay, David walked out of jail and into a hail of questions from a member of his church. He called a meeting at home at his home Friday, April 23rd, and announced to seven church members his resignation as a pastor. He'd written a statement. How convenient. It's with remorse and repentance that I resign, it read, I've sinned against my Lord, my family, and the Lord's church. I am resigning because of my sin of immortality. I've asked God to forgive me for sinning and deceiving my family and you. I ask the staff, deacon, officers, and members to receive my resignation and forgive me 
of my sin. Later, a church deacon reported that David submitted the affair, admitted the affair, but denied any role in Randy's murder. Of course he did. The following Sunday, Detective Keith and a squad of detectives and officers appeared at David Love's house to serve a search warrant. Detective, David Love said, greeting Detective Keith at the door. David, Detective Keith replied, Please herd the family together to get them out of the way while officers took photos and gathered evidence. David Love in turn summoned the family around the piano and treated police to a family gospel sing-along, which that would be very creepy. But the media and police attention weighed on the preacher. After the detectives left, the uh, pastor David Love slipped out of town with his brother. David would not tell Kim where he was headed, but said to contact his brothers if she needed to reach him. He took his birth certificate and passport with him. Oh, that's never good when a suspect does that. Randy Stone had decided to leave New Hope Baptist Church, taking Teresa farther away from the Reverend David Love. Claire, Claire Clothier's wire passed the hug test. As Teresa Stone greeted his mother-in-law at Smokehouse, greeted her mother-in-law, sorry, at Smokehouse Barbecue in June 2010, she didn't notice they, the transmitter that Independence Police had wrapped around Claire's, Claire's waist or the microphone they'd hidden under the blouse at her shoulder. Tension in Clara's gut ease. The pair settled to lunch in a chat about the police investigation into the murder of Randy Stone, Teresa's husband, and Clara's son, at his Nolan Road Insurance Agency three months earlier. Detective Keith and two other investigators listened outside in the parking lot. Despite an eight-hour interview with Teresa two months before, detectives didn't believe that Teresa had divulged everything she knew. True, she told Detective Keith that the Reverend David Love, her secret lover, had confessed the murder to her for ten years. But how did the pastor get Randy's gun, and what role did Teresa play in the homicide? Teresa theorized over lunch that perhaps the pastor had an accident alone. Maybe she speculated Reverend Love had somehow el- had someone else shoot Randy, and the preacher just came in to check that Randy was dead and closed the office blinds. Overall, Independence Police didn't seem to have much Teresa included in her chat with Clara. They're just fishing, she said. Detective Keith knew that wasn't true. Still, he wanted more. By the summer of 2010, Independence Police had stitched together a convincing circumstantial case against the lovers, even without the damning admission Teresa had made during her long April interview with Detective Keith. As word spread of progress in the investigation, old witnesses came forward with fresh recollections. New witnesses appeared with insights into how the couple had behaved immediately after Randy's death. David Trump, a Baptist pastor in West Virginia, contacted detectives and reported that he'd spoken with David Love and Teresa Stone the day after the murder. He was struck by how both immediately shared their alibis for that afternoon. But you remember reading them that, about that, and that was incredibly strange. Like, makes no sense. He offered detectives detailed notes of those telephone calls and even agreed to record future conversations with the two. One of the most significant breakthroughs came when the crime lab established conclusively that Randy had been killed with his own forty caliber Glock. 
cementing the theory that he'd been shot by someone he knew. In her April interview, Teresa Stone revealed that David Love had told her he had dumped the weapon 20 miles from the murder scene, but the police had not found it. Police did recover five old shell casings fired from Randy's gun at a target range on Teresa's parents' rural property. Weeks later, experts matched firing pin structure marks on those casings with the one on the casing found near Andy, Randy's feet the day he died. Randy's insurance benefits also became apparent, and when the news shocked Teresa, after a thorough analysis, experts concluded that she was not entitled up to 800000 for her husband's death, as she first told her friends. Randy had taken Teresa off his policies in 2005, the year she miscarried David Love's child. Ooh, that's gotta hurt. Randy had direct that money which sold 625000 to go to their two children at the time. Aw, that's sweet. Computer forensics that bore fruit in the summer of 2010 gave Detective Keith other insights into the motive. Recovered emails showed that two weeks before the murder, Randy had decided to leave New Hope Baptist Church, informing the pastor that he wasn't pleased with the church's finances. I'm resigning as the finance minister and as a Sunday school teacher effective immediately, he wrote in an email. I do not want to talk about it. I do not want any emails. I do not want any visits. That Love's son, who worked as New Randy's, oh, sorry, who worked as New Hope's music director, had been charged with driving while intoxicated. That point was susceptible, and Love knew because in a conservative congregation, even the son's legal problems could lead to the pastor's dismissal. Randy's announcement prompted an ugly showdown at the insurance office. Reverend Love accused his congregant of being too prideful and tried to drive a wedge between the stones, accusing Teresa of sexual indiscretions with two other men. And Kim Love, the pastor's wife, had confronted Teresa about a ring Dave had given her about a disposable and about a disposable cell phone Teresa used to communicate with the pastor. The showdown did not shake Randy's determination to leave New Hope, but he was gracious in a follow-up email to David Love. I love you, Pastor, and I wish things could be different, but too much has been said and done to come back. As detectives examined the new information, the primary motive for the homicide became clear. The insurance money was a factor for Teresa, but by walking away from the church, Randy took her farther away from David. She no longer would work in the church kitchen, attend choir rehearsals, or other David's, or other, or David's other sermons stirred the congregation on Sunday mornings. Randy also knew or suspected enough to possibly crash David's love's future. His financial questions could get David fired from New Hope, and if he acted on suspicions of his wife's affair, Randy could wreck any hope that David Love would work again as the Baptist pastor. Whether or not he realized that Randy Stone had become the greatest threat to David's love's happiness and livelihood. That's incredibly sad. Suna, that's just so sad that this man lost his life because of his... 
because of a pastor's greed and happiness. Soon after the killing, prosecutors and investigators had agreed the only the case only would be charged when the investigation was as complete as detectives could make it. They reached their comfort level in November 2010 when prosecutors presented their evidence to a grand jury. Independence police detectives Keith and Christina hovered over the speakerphone at a South Carolina trucks terminal. They heard rising suspicion creep into David Lynn's voice as the call's other end. Detective, I mean, sorry, David Love's supervisor had called him to come to the office to sign paperwork. A ruse, actually, so the Missouri detectives could arrest him. Seven months after Pastor Love shot congregant Randy Stone to death in the Stone's Nolan Road Insurance Agency, a Jackson County grand jury indicted Love on first-degree murder. What do you have for me to sign? Love asked his boss that day, November 10th. Is everything okay? Lev had slipped out of independence after resigning as pastor of the New Hope Baptist Church in late April, nearly a month after the killing. By then, Teresa Stone, Randy's stone widow, had told police that she and Lev had been lovers for 10 years, eventually meeting almost daily for sex. The financial hit to the Lev family had been substantial. Still devoted to her family, Kim had joined her husband in South Carolina, where he'd been working as a long-haul trucker. Oh, his poor wife. Everybody in the Tidewater Trucking Office got antsy after 10 minutes of waiting. Finally, a worker stepped in to say that Lev had parked his 18-wheeler outside the gate, reached his car, and took off. Leaving a detective at the terminal, Detective Keith and Nunez hopped into Spartanburg County patrol cars and raced to Lev's home at about 20 minutes away. Just as they arrived, the radio in Detective Keith's car lit up. Hey, the deputy called. The guy's back. Love had been trying to flee. Suspecting he was about to be arrested, he'd gone to get his wife so she would be there to take the car and hopefully keep her mending up in a pile out pile police impound lot as it happened to their cars back in Independence. As Detective Keith returned to the truck terminal, Kim recognized him as one of the detectives who had searched her Independence home that spring. Do you believe he did this? Is Chuck Kim asked. Do you believe he did this? The Spartanburg County deputy already had handcuffed David Love's wrists. Later at the county jail, Detective Keith showed Love the arrest warrant. Here are first-degree murder charges, Detective Keith said. You've lost your job and moved out here, and you're not taking talking to us. Is this working for you? We're Sorry, he's not impressed anymore. David Love fell back on a familiar line. I just feel I need an attorney, he said. I don't trust you guys. Continuing to press, Detective Keith told him that people are hurting back in Independence and they need a closure. That brought tears to David Love's eyes. Look, he said, Randy was a friend too. But yet you still murdered him. Eight months after her husband's murder, Teresa Stone entered a small first-floor office of the Jackson County Courthouse, annexed in Independence, Arizona, finally ready to reveal her final secrets. She had yet to detail how her former lover had obtained her husband's 40 caliber Glock, which fired the fatal shots, and she still hadn't been honest about whether she encouraged Love to commit the murder or helped him plan it. But hoping desperately to avoid a lengthy prison sentence and thinking cooperation would help she sat down with the prosecutors 
Accompanied by veteran defense lawyer John P. O'Connor, Teresa announced that she was prepared without conditions or promises to answer questions under oath. Assistant Jackson County Prosecutor Patrick Edwards remained queasy about her using her as a witness against Love because she'd be too easy to discredit. Why should prosecutors own these problems, Edward asked himself. For anything to work, Teresa would have to show that she can make crisp and truthful admissions without the histrionics she'd employed to frustrate detectives. As a court reporter, as a court reporter recorded the discussion, Assistant Prosecutor Tammy Dickinson got right to the key questions. How would he get access to Randy's gun, she gasped. I gave him the code to get to the gun safe and our garage door and our alarm code, Teresa replied. So he had access to get into your house? Yes, ma'am. Teresa also admitted that she helped him turn she helped turn love into a killer. I sent him a text that said I want him dead. I told him I just wanted him out of my life. And with that, her last secrets were out. Wow. That's all I have to say. Wow. That is incredibly... <sighs> That's so stupid. <laughs> but not the dumbest, re- dumbest reason for murder. As an assistant public defender, Molly Hastings usually represented violent street criminals, not an educated, articulate, and once respected man of God like David Love. Prosecutors have charged Love with first degree murder, which carried a mandatory life sentence, so he had every incentive to speak acquittal at trial. Love proved a low maintenance defendant, seldom calling Hastings, but always grateful and concerned about her well being when he did. He became an immediate hit among her other clients at the Jackson County Jail, and they appreciated his critical listening skills and liked having their pastor among them. He's blossomed there, she moves in her Kansas City office after getting the case in December 2010. The state's case against Love was also blossoming. As crime and computer labs finished their studies, Hastings' Love office Solely filled with an interview and forensics reports, computer hard drive analysis, and cell phone records matched the data showing where each phone had pinged a cell tower on the day Randy Stone died. As she plowed through the evidence over several months, Hastings' strategy began to take shape. Apologized to jurors for David Love's despicable conduct with Teresa Stone, encouraged jurors to at least consider that Teresa could have pulled the trigger, and then tear into Teresa's credibility on cross-examination. Exposing the lies she had told during her various police statements, which actually sounds like a great idea, if you think about it. Prosecutors indicted Teresa Stone on May May 27, 2011 for allegedly conspiring with David Love in the murder, but even with that weighing against her, Teresa's testimony could still damage David. Jurors had to see Teresa as the party who drove the adulterous relationship and was in a twisted and unrelenting competition with David's wife, Kim. Hastings honed a line that she could use to go home the point that to jurors in a closing arguments. Someone would love a man in uniform, Hastings said. Teresa had a thing for clergy, and she is the one who thinks she could be a good pastor's wife. That's actually a great opening statement. With the trial scheduled to open on December 5th, 2011, 
Hastings and prosecutors began disposing witnesses during a grueling three-week stretch in the fall of 2011. With almost two dozen dispositions completed, the last one loomed particularly large. Teresa Stone on Tuesday, November 8th. For Hastings, the disposition disposition represented full contact practice around with Teresa before she had to repeat it in front of the jurors. Working late the evening of Thursday, November 3rd, Hastings noticed a new email from prosecutors pop up into her inbox. An analysis of text messages between David and Teresa showed contact between the two later than their client previously had acknowledged. Hastings exhaled, exhaled in frustration. It's one more thing, she thought. Oh my gosh. Exasperated, she called Dickinson about 7.30. Would you give me murder too on this? Hastings asked, pleading for a deal that could take mandatory life without the possibility of parole off the table. He agreed, but with conditions. Dave would have to accept life with the possibility of parole. But he had to take the deal by Monday so the prosecutor could spare Randy's son and Teresa from the dispositions. Hastings was not optimistic that Love would accept, and she felt fine. She looked forward to trial and remained convinced that Teresa had more to do with her husband's murder than she admitted. The next day, she laid out the plea agreement and for Love in the starkest possible terms in a jail visiting room. Here is the benefit to you. You'll get out of prison before you die. His lawyer estimated that Love, 51, could be out of prison on parole by the age of 70. No way, he said. Not. Okay. She probably would love to call Kim Love. Hastings waited to call the prosecutor. The deadline wasn't until Monday. Over the weekend, Kim Love called Hastings. Pastor wants to speak to you, she said. David Love could see his lawyer's anger over a small metal table in the jail's visiting room. After a few minutes earlier, he'd asked Hastings to shoo away her investigator and co-counsel, who had invested the same long hours as Hastings in his defense. I need to talk to you by yourself, Love said. You have five minutes, Hastings replied. Love's tone softened. Put your hands on the table, he said. The The request angered the lawyer even more, but she did as he asked. Love covered her hands with his. What is going on, she asked. I'll take it, he cried. Hastings' eyes widened. What do you mean you'll take it? I'm not an innocent man. Oh, sorry. My uh, computer kind of just acted up there for a second. And then began to sob, fully acknowledging his fall from grace for the first time. Love's pasture in, oh, posture in the chair seemed to ease as if a vast weight had left, slipped off his shoulders. They talked more. After a few minutes, Hastings took a break and called Dickinson, pulling her out of a meeting two blocks away. Cancel all our dispositions, she said. We have a deal. And then she asked if she was joking. No, but a hundred million things can go wrong with this. Returning to the interview room, Hastings found her client more composed. His eyes seemed brighter and he appeared more... 
relaxed, hopeful, and confident. You're a special person, he said. I'm taking the deal and I'm taking responsibility for this. Still, Hastings worried about the court hearing Love now faced. In a courtroom packed with family, friends, and media could cause the plea to crumble. And prosecutors worried that a sudden influx of national media would force a change of venue for Teresa Stone's trial to Springfield or even further afield. All the lawyers felt a quiet plea was the way to go. And prosecutors had a plan to keep some of Stone's more distant relatives from tipping off the press. They warned that if the word of the plea leaked out ahead of time, prosecutors would make would consider a less severe prison term for David Love, perhaps one that would take him out in 10 years. It worked. Reporters and the general public learned nothing about the hearing, which began in an independence courtroom at 8 a.m. November 9, 2011. Wearing a student in a jail tire, Love took the stand while Hastings positioned herself between the Stone family and the gallery, and her client line of sight. The previous day, she had rehearsed the legal litany, legal litany and that she and Love would have to recite to have the guilty plea accepted by the court. And she pared it down to the bare minimum. On March 31, 2010, in Jackson County, did you knowingly cause the death of Randy Stone by shooting him, she asked. Yes, he responded. Did you use a firearm and commit the crime of armed criminal action, she followed up. Yes. The judge sentenced Love to life in prison. The hearing only took about 30 minutes. Heading out the door of the prison, Love told prosecutors in passing that he had thrown Rainey's Glock into a fast food restaurant trash bin shortly after the killing. However, prosecutors remained skeptical since he never made the admissions under oath. By 8.40 a.m., Hastings had pulled away from the courthouse and noticed a TV news van screech to the curb. Hastings left with mixed feelings. Love had accepted responsibility and served with the Stone and Love families the misery of a trial by pleading guilty. But it would have been the trial of my career, she thought. On a Friday, the court set Teresa Stone judgment up day for June 25, 2012. She pleaded guilty six weeks before, never receiving a deal from the prosecutor. A trial seemed pointless with a pile of her incriminating admissions stacked against her record. A media horde packed the hallway outside the Division 16 courtroom in Independence. Inside, spectators filled the courtroom's pew-like benches. Michael and Miranda Stones, Clara and Clara Clohier, sorry if I mispronounced that, I'm pretty sure I did, sat behind Teresa in the first rows of pews across this aisle from... Michael and Miranda, her grandchildren. Prosecutors had given defense lawyer O'Connor copies of Randy Stone's body photographs lying on the office floor. They planned to project him on the courtroom wall and wanted his children who hadn't seen them to be prepared. Dickinson, the lead prosecutor, rose and began. Her lover was her hitman. The, Randy, the image of Randy's body didn't linger as Dickinson Swiftly described other evidence such as a torn up love note and emails between Teresa and Pastor Love, documenting dialogue the two had shared regarding their wedding plans. She wanted a perfect life, no matter the cost, Dickinson said. But Dickinson added, Today is not about what Teresa Stone wants, it's about what she deserves. Dickinson detailed the murder scene of Teresa's mistake and belief that she would receive as much as 800000 
and life insurance payouts. The prosecutor summoned Detective Keith, who described Teresa's detailed alibi at the killing. Randy's farmer insurance supervisor, Robert Davis, described Teresa's distraught demeanor when he visited the stone home the day after the murder and how that didn't last long. She suggested that we go out on the French porch, Davis testified. She immediately regained her composure and started asking about the life insurance. Davis said that Randy had switched the beneficiaries on his policies from Teresa and Michael and Moran in 2005. Randy soon didn't trust her, and to blame him, Dickinson said, that man was on to something. Miranda and Michael pleaded with Rolden, the judge, to show their mother mercy. Then Randy's niece, Shelley Bell, testified that her uncle's 45th birthday would have been the previous day. She asked Judge Rolden to impose the maximum sentence to reflect the cold-hearted decision made by this woman. Finally, Teresa stood. A newspaper photographer, Cameron, began firing. I am so sorry, Teresa is sobbing. If I could do anything to change it, I ask you today to show me mercy. I am totally responsible for my actions. O'Connor pointed out that Teresa had no prior criminal record and had returned to school to prepare for a new career as a medical technician. Judge Rolden chose the most severe recommended in a pre-sentencing assessment. Eight years is all she got. Let me repeat that. For helping plan the murder of her husband... And helping the hitman get away with it, she only got eight years. You heard that right. A deputy led the 40-year-old Teresa toward a door. Teresa put her hands behind her back and the deputy snapped on a pair of handcuffs. As the courtroom cleared, Dickinson hugged Randy's mother, Clara, and his sister Shannon Bell. Two days later, Claire joined others in a 30-acre field at North East Independence for a groundbreaking for a new picnic pavilion at the future site a New Hope Baptist Church. Even after all that happened, Clara still belongs to the congregation with about 250 members before her son's death. Membership had clipped to below 100 members, in the aftermath of the murder, but has since rebounded to more than 300. Pastor Darren Tharp, she replaced David Love, handed the show first to Clara so she and other Stone family members could turn the first dirt for the Randy Stone Memorial Pavilion. You will be able to come out, bring your families, and have picnics. Pastor Tharp said, we will have a beautiful plaque up with Randy's picture. We will build it, we will build it to the glory of God and the memory of a precious man of God, Brother Randy Stone. And um, that is the really sad tale of the murder of Randy Stone that was solved and how a pastor and Pastor David Love and Teresa Stone's wife Pretty much murdered him, help each other murder him. Okay. So, 
Um, I don't have much to say, guys, other than um, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day, and I'll be back next week with a new episode. Bye!